listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 264. Hey, Mark, your your face looks better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I actually had somebody I met on a conference call that listens to the podcast, but I had never met him before. Literally, the first thing he said after hello, Mark, is your face looks better. <laughs> so he listens to the show and he heard. So, so yes, my face looks better. It feels better, too. Yeah. Glad. Glad you're doing better. Much better. And speaking of much better. We, we have a review. You want to read it? Do I want to? Or do you want me to? <laughs> Go ahead. I'll let you do it. Hey guys, love the podcast. I'm a Canadian citizen and have my degree in petroleum engineering from the University of Wyoming. I grew up in Calgary and always wanted to be a part of the energy industry in Alberta. I worked in the field for a couple of years before I was able to land an EIT job in Calgary. I just want to give advice to other people looking to get to office jobs in the industry. Start in the field. Agreed 100%. <laughs> um, by getting my hands dirty in the field before we went in the office, it's allowed me to hit the ground running and start my new position with a greater knowledge of the industry. It's also given me more respect with my peers in the oil and gas industry. Would love to hear your thoughts on this path into the energy industry. Thanks. Keep the black gold uh, flowing. This is from Josh in, uh, in, in Canada. 100% agree, Josh. If, if especially uh, if you know if you're in school right now and, and you're looking to work in the oil and gas industry, try to get some internships. But try to make it field experience. So number one, you'll be one up on all over your peers who's never been in the field, which is what Josh is talking about. But number two, it makes what you do in the office more real because you know what the end results are, right? So I, I, Josh, I think it's great advice. Thank you so much for the five star review. Yeah. All right. So let's get in the news stories. First up, uh, Wolfpack Software acquires Landvantage. So this was unexpected, came out of nowhere. Uh, we know some of those guys, right? We know uh, Drew and Wade and... Uh, uh, Amy. Uh, Jim, Jim Shaw, I think. Yeah, yeah. we've had a, I've had at least three of them Half on my of show. Them on your show. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is great. It's I, I think it's a, a marriage made in heaven. You know, looking at what they're doing from a financial point of view, is this just this just makes the perfect pairing. So we wish the a new company, uh, 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 Wolfpack Saltware, uh, or, or the existing company, Wolfpack Software, which just acquired Landmatch, with some much success um, and looking for some great stuff coming out of y'all guys. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the next one is Biden scraps offshore oil auctions. What the <laughs> hell is going on? Like, you can't make this stuff up. You know, I was talking to you earlier before we turned the microphones, or maybe it was even yesterday, and it's like, you know, is this guy intentionally trying to ruin our economy? I mean, I, I understand this is this is him uh, towing the party line. I, I'm firmly convinced it's not his decision. It's other people in his party's decision. And the truth is they're talking about um, some auctions, one of which was in Alaska, which, which um, th there's not a big demand right now for, for people bidding on lease in Alaska. So it made sense to cancel that one, right? But canceling leases in the Gulf of Mexico, and Paige, they're talking about that – with a lot of the court wranglings that's going through, and there's lawsuits going back and forth on both sides, they're looking at the our current administration, the Biden administration, doesn't expect to sell any any leases till at least October 23. That's, that's the insane. Earliest. While people are paying six bucks a gallon at the pump, 
while people are complaining saying it's the oil and gas industry that's the reason for high fuel costs, which is not, um, this is why we have high fuel well, costs. Well, he's also trying to blame Russia. He's trying to... Yeah, this has nothing to do with Russia. The Russia-Ukraine thing just sped this up. But but this has everything to do with high pump prices, uh, high food prices, which is coming, actually starting to happen right now, high electrical prices. Um, I mean, I just we just got our electricity bill here, and even though we use the same amount, more or less the same amount of kilowatts as we did uh, last month, um, my my rate went up by about fifteen percent. Right? Oh my gosh! Because they're paying more for natural gas to, to, yeah, to make electricity. That makes sense. So this is just asinine. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. It's not what the country needs. It's not what either political side wants. Although there is a small group in, in the current administration that's pushing this forward so they can appease their greener voters. But come on, even if you want to, if you really seriously think that the oil and gas industry harms the planet, and you, and you want to see less oil being uh, coming out the ground, look at other countries that don't care about the environment. That's where you can make a difference. Not here where we care about the environment and where we have rules and regulations and policing and, and everything else. This is, like I said, this is, if you would have told me this two years ago, I would have said no way. But unfortunately, everybody, this is the reality. It's the world we live in. <sighs> All right. So the next article is Shell sells Russian retail business to Luca Will. Hey, do we already tell the world that Reuters is uh, now a media part of ours? I think you said it last yeah, I'll show. I'll try to quit saying it. But anyway, this is from Reuters. Uh, it's a great article. Um, you probably, audience, can understand what's going on without me having to explain it to you. But basically, Shell is not happy with the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Shell has pulled out of Russia, and now they're selling their retail um, fuel and lubricant stations uh, to Luca Oil, which is, of course, owned by, by the uh, Russia. Um, it's about four, a little over 400 retail stations. Um, they haven't announced the price or the valuation of this because, quite frankly, Russia right now has can't <laughs> afford to buy this. But Shell just wants to get out from under this weight and this public perception. I don't blame um, them. I, I don't blame me. Now, the cool thing is one of the things that Shell did during this, and they were very clear on this, is there is about 400 people that work for Shell that man these stations in the retail lube centers. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing that um, Luke Wall has to do is put them on their payroll. That's the very first step to get this deal go through. And so this way, the employees at least stay on payroll, still get paid. Um, but, um, you know, this is a $4 billion write-off. And, and honestly, Shell, hats off to you. This is the right thing for you to do. You could have not done this. The public probably wouldn't have noticed. And you could have kept that revenue coming in once things settled down in, in Russia. But you did the right thing, and you walked away from a lot of money. You walked away from some history, um, some good business, um, and, and I applaud you for it. All right. So the next one, Ugh. a ban on excessive gasoline prices heading to Congress for vote. Do we really need the Price Gouging Prevention Act of 2022? Introduced by some names I would not have expected to introduce this. Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> <laughs> Tammy Baldwin. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Um, so basically what's happening is there's a, uh, in our current administration, there's a, a group of people that think the oil and gas industry is intentionally raising prices at the pump uh, to, to make more profits. And which is interesting, Paige, I just had this conversation literally with the Los Angeles Times, I think last week, mm -hmm. and the reporter that interviewed me literally said, my entire company, which is the Los Angeles Times, doesn't understand what you just explained to me. So now I'm going to explain it to you just like I explained it to them. So first thing, Shell and Exxon own almost no retail gas stations in the U.S., almost zero, right? And when you look at all of the gas stations that are owned by U.S., about 60% are owned by independent people, not 
Shell, Chevron, Texaco, you know, Marathon, all this. The retail gas station is the least valuable part of the the, the value chain. And so the, the industry has gotten away from that. So number one, Exxon could care less what the price is at an Exxon gas station because they don't own it. Number two, if you could try to – uh, have any type of price controls on that Exxon gas station, you're probably hurting your neighbor. Typically, it's a, something called a jobber. Um, you know, a typical convenience store in the U.S. makes fifty dollars to $60,000 in profit. So somebody needs to own two or three of them to make a comfortable living, and they're always local. Uh, and you may ask, well, why, is it, why does it say ExxonMobil on it, or why does it say Shell? What's happening is ExxonMobil and Shell allow them to brand their retail stations. They have, they have to meet certain standards, and it's a marketing ploy. More people are more likely to stop at a gas station that says ExxonMobil that says generic gas station X, right? right. Um, so, so the oil and gas industry has nothing to do with the price at the pump. The reason the price of the pump is so high, a couple things. About 50 to 60% of the price of fuel is the raw feedstock, so the crude oil. So crude prices are up, so of course gasoline and diesel prices up. Another 15 to maybe 25% is actually moving that, that the fuels around, so transportation. You know, gasoline is six pounds a gallon. It's heavy, so it costs money to move it. And then another, the rest of it's mostly state and federal taxes. So if states or if the federal government wanted to lower price at the pump quickly, um, first thing, uh, put a freeze on federal taxes. Second thing, compensate the states and have them do the same thing because the federal budget could, could bear this type of financial loss for a little while. Some of the states couldn't, right? And then the price at the pump would drop anywhere from 20 to maybe 50 to 60 cents a gallon, maybe even 70 or 80 cents a gallon, which would give some relief. But this is absolutely retarded. So we're creating a law that's going to do nothing. And then if you read through this in detail – uh, the bill would would prevent gasoline prices hike, hikes during times of natural emergencies or abnormal market disruptions, as declared by the president, which means the president can make a decree saying that this is abnormal market or it's a national emergency, and all of a sudden he would freeze the prices at the pump and you couldn't go up. So what happens if you own let's, – let's say it's not a retail gas station. Let's say it's a men's clothing store. This is the equivalent of the government coming in and saying you can't go up on your suit prices even though it now costs you more to make the suits than what you're selling them for. So they would force you to sell them at a loss. And nowhere in this legislation is any type of compensation for the retail gas stations who would lose money if they can't adjust prices based upon what they're buying the fuel for. If you're buying gasoline for five fifty a gallon and the government freezes it, that price, and you can't go up above five fifty a gallon, and yet and yet a week later you're now buying it for seven dollars a gallon. You're now losing a buck fifty for every gallon of gas that you sell, which is gonna help nobody. Uh, um, let's get the, when is the next election? <laughs> when, when do we Not get there? soon enough. <laughs> Can I have a time machine just fast forward to the next election? <laughs> It also says it's going to grant more funding to the FTC. Yeah, the Federal Trade Commission does not need to step in anymore to regulate anything we do with retail fuels. Um, if, if you notice anywhere in this country, um, when you go to pump gasoline or diesel, there's a typically a state uh, uh, sticker on there saying that the pump has been calibrated to ensure that when you pay for a gallon, you actually get a gallon. And the FTC actually also makes sure that happens so that you get the exact amount of what you're buying. They don't need any more... Any more <laughs> They don't need any more dogs in this play right now. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so this one was an interesting one. Aramco takes overtakes Apple. 
Yeah. Uh, why did Aramco grow bigger than Apple? Because um, oil's over $100 a barrel and nobody's buying iPhones. Right? <laughs> and, and Apple, don't give me grief. I know people are buying iPhones. This is what happens. You know, at some point, Exxon was the biggest company in the world. Before that, it was General Motors. Um, Exxon will probably come back. I think Exxon will, will be up in the top three again in, in the next, say, decade or so. But because of the price of oil, the market cap for Saudi Aramco's went up. So now they're the number one uh, largest market cap company in the world at $2.38 trillion. Wow. Now, poor Apple is only $2.3 trillion. Oh. Right? So, and do I think Apple's worried about Saudi Aramco? Nah. No, probably <laughs> Next is, not. Next uh, Microsoft, which is actually surprising. It took them a while to get to the top five. They're at yeah, no, dot, that's very surprising. $1.9 trillion. Uh, Google's in that mix at fourth place, and one of our favorite sponsors, Amazon, is in fifth place with a cap market cap of one point eight trillion. Oh, it shows Exxon Mobil's in sixteenth place. Yeah, three hundred forty-six billion. Um, that's that's going give give us a decade. That's going to change. Um, but um, because the growth of Saudi Ramco, um, the interesting thing is they're getting ready to publish their first quarterly financials. I think. This month, um, actually, I think in a couple of days, like the 15th of this month. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the real financials show versus what the market cap is projecting. So, um, you know, hats off to Saudi Ramco. It's, it, you know, if I worked at Saudi Ramco right now, I'd be walking around going, biggest company on the planet. You know, Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So Siemens is leaving Russia after 170 years. You know. Once again, if you would have told me this two years ago, I would have told you you're in, it's crazy. Siemens has been in Russia forever, to your point, 170 years. And once again, like Shell and a lot of other companies, they are doing the right thing. They're exiting Russia. They're going to lose a ton of money at a time that their stock's not doing really well. Really well. But literally their CEO said, you know what? This war is wrong. And we're not just Siemens. We're human beings. And as human beings, we can't watch this go on. And so I just think, once again, this is awesome. It's a company this size that is losing this much money at a time when shareholders are worried about what the futures bring has decided to do it. And not only have they decided to do it, they're not taking their time. They're, they're literally pulling out today. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They're pulling out facilities uh, that they can move. They're pulling out all their people. Um, and, and all of this has actually caused their share price to drop. But they're doing the right thing. So Siemens, thank you. Yeah, the German firm employee... Employs about three thousand people in Russia. That's yeah. that's wow. That's substantial. Yeah. All right. So next one is Buffett could be inching closer to control to control over Oxy. Okay, this guy is a genius. Every time I think it's just luck that he does stuff, um, he he does something out from left field. So I don't know if y'all remember how many years ago is that? Five years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago? I think. The whole Chevron bid for Oxy and Buffett came in and uh, and and actually worked with um, uh, Vicky Holub, which is their CEO, and actually rebuffed the Chevron bid. And Oxy had to pay this big penalty fine, uh, but he put enough money into Oxy to for them to be able to stand up and stay on their own. And when he did that, I was going, you know, I, I sort of see it, right? Because at that time, we, we weren't in the present conditions we are now. Oil was uh, probably about $65 a barrel. Companies were making money. But usually when Buffett does something, he does it in this huge way. And usually what happens is he does something that makes no sense. And then two years later, he does something else. You go, oh, my God, he knew this all the time. This is a perfect example of that. I think he's going to end up with a, a, a ownership or controlling ownership of Oxy, which I think is about 20% of their shares. Um, so this week, 
uh, to your point, Paige Hayes bought 900,000 shares in Oxy. I bet you um, wrote a check. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and Berkshire Hathaway now has uh, over 140 million shares in Occidental. So they're, they're actually getting close. Now, it's going to be really interesting. Why would Buffett want to have controlling operations over a, a, a large independent like Oxy? You know, they're, they're, and, and I think the reason is, and, and if he saw this coming, there's no way he saw the Russian-Ukraine thing coming, but he could have seen the high commodity prices coming because it was happening before Russia and Ukraine. Same way with uh, fuel shortage. I mean, even I uh, forecast that there's going to be a global energy shortage for this year. If he saw that coming, this is a great move, Warren Buffett. Dude, you want to help me with my, my own portfolio? I'll pay you. You know, but, but Oh, yeah, because he needs your money. <laughs> he needs my money. Um, but... One of the things that both uh, Buffett said and, and Vicky Holland is like, we don't know what the price of oil is going to be next year. Nobody does, which is 100% true. But we got to prepare for the future, which is what they're doing. So with the the bank roll of um, Berkshire Hathaway in your, in your side pocket, don't be surprised if Oxy doesn't come out the gate toward the end of this year or the beginning of next year and start snapping up its competition. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, so the next article is... Te- Texas adds 4,200 oil-filled service jobs last month. Total still below pre-pandemic numbers. Yeah, but it's moving in the right direction. Right. Um, it's and, and Paige, I don't know about you and your networks, um, but literally everybody I know that either works for an oil and gas company or works for a company that tr- that sells stuff to oil and gas, nobody can hire right now. It is it is insane. I know if. And, and seriously, if you have oil and gas technology sales experience, at least five years of oil and gas technology sales experience, reach out to me. I know an extremely large company that is looking not even for senior salespeople. They're looking for mid-level salespeople, and they're offering $200,000 a year base and $200,000 at risk. So if you do a good job, that's $400,000. Even I, Paige, I go, do I want to go back to carrying a bag again? Because that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this article is really good talking about the jobs that are coming back. They also talk a little bit about how this Ukraine-Russia thing is actually eventually add more jobs as hopefully, knock on wood, the U.S. tries to um, uh, decrease its use of Russian crude oil, right? So which means we should, not once again, knock on wood, hopefully use our own production instead of buying it from another country. Right. Um, and and the, the demand for, for hydrocarbons is going to continue to rise faster than the supply, I think, for the next 10 years, at least the next decade. I think we're another bull run. So if you have uh, oil and gas experience, um, the industry's hiring. They can't hire quick enough. Now, the thing to be really careful of, people, is, like I talked about earlier, is this uh, uh, increase in, in what people are paying in order to get you to go work for them. I've seen this page a dozen times in, in my career where companies get in a bidding war and they start going up on what they're offering people so they can get the talent that they need. But guess what happens and everything goes back to normal or unfortunately gets bad. The higher paid people are the first ones that are let go. Yep. So don't don't get me wrong. Like I said about that sales job, that's a lot of money. Even if you get let, let go two years later, for, you made $800,000 in two years. Um, but it just is a, a great story talking about what's going on uh, in, in the oil field patch, especially here in Texas. And you know, Texas is probably one of the easiest states to actually get a job in the, yeah. in, in the industry, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, and Paige, I want to talk a little bit about this before we close the show out. So one of the things that's changed a lot um, is people's willingness to work for the same company for a long period of time. So ExxonMobil right now is having this huge problem with attrition, and, and that Exxon's core competency was its 
its talent. So Exxon had engineers and project managers that have 10, 15, 20, 30, 35 years of experience. And when you do the same job for 35 years, you get really good at it, right? Yeah. Now Exxon's losing all that. I had a, a young woman I talked to actually yesterday who started off her career at Exxon, and now she's actually working for, for one of our sponsors. And and it's the funny thing is that she's now attached to the Chevron account, <laughs> which was there her competitor when she worked at Exxon. But she was telling me the number of her peers, her 30-something peers that have left Exxon is is unbelievable, but it's not just Exxon, it's it's the entire industry. And so one of the things as as an industry that we're gonna have to change with this new younger workforce is our ability to run our businesses without having people stay around for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. This new workforce doesn't care about having a 35 year career at the same company. I was gonna ask if yeah. it was generational. Because yeah, it's 100 percent generational. Yeah, because my dad's Gen X, and he's you know. He was at the same job for like twenty something years, but you know things happen. You know, uh, companies get acquired, companies go out of business. Well, also it's it's the standards of what people want out of their life too, which I think is awesome. So um, I'm also Gen X. Uh, my generation and the, the generations before me looked at life almost like um, you had delayed gratification. So you'd go work for a company in a job you probably didn't like. And you would hate to get up and go to work for 20, 25 years, but then you would retire and you had this great pension and you got to travel and, and you know, hang out with the grandkids. And so, but because of competition, pensions are now gone. So instead of the company being responsible for your retirement, now you're responsible for your retirement. And then people want to do different things. And so um, that whole model of working at the same company and the company uh, reaps the benefits of all that experience isn't around anymore. So the oil and gas industry is going to have to learn how to work with employees that are intentionally hop around. They're going to want new experiences, new job challenges, new geographic locations, right? And so, you know, as an industry, we need to figure out how we're going to do that. And unfortunately, we're really bad at that, you know. We're really bad at making sure we have a bench of talent. Um, that we um, during cycles that we don't keep going from paying too much to laying people off. Yeah, that's that's actually what I was going to bring yeah. up is you know I think some of the downturns have scared the crap out of a bunch of us as a millennial. You know, um, that's that's really scary. I was laid off in the last downturn, so I I get it. Yeah, and how many of how many of your friends have you talked to that said you know what this is my last downturn? I'm getting out the industry. Oh, a yeah. bunch, a, a whole lot. Yeah. And, and so my generation, we just accepted the downturn because we had no choice. We didn't think we could, could go work anywhere else, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we were wrong about that. We could have easily taken those same job skills, the same drafting skills or AutoCAD or project management or accounting, took it to any other industry, but we didn't know we could do that. One of the things I love about your generation is you're not scared of any of that. It doesn't. You, there's no fear. In fact, you're excited about getting a new gig, a new job, a new place, a new management team to work with. Well, I don't know about me. New management, but yeah. <laughs> well, a good manager team makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Company. But anyway, I just this article made, made me want to stop and kind of talk about this because as an industry, we need to address this issue. And you got to remember, this is on top of the fact that nobody wants to come work in our industry anymore. Yeah. So this is this is huge. And if anybody can figure out how to fix this, you're, you're sitting on a billion-dollar solution. Um, there is no secret island of talent that somebody can go tap into. So as, a, as an industry couple things. One thing is we need to really start addressing this negative public narrative so we can attract more people. Um, and like I said, my predictions in November, I think this year would be the year to do it because of high energy prices. And I've already had multiple conversations with a lot of people that don't like our industry. They're actually reaching out to me going, tell me what's really going on. And when I explain it to them and they get it, 
they go, oh, my God, I had no idea. So even if you're very pro-renewable, you have to admit that the that trying to push renewables into a market too fast causes con- constraints and causes yeah. issues. So anyway, I, I, I don't want to get off. I don't want to get on this rant, which is what I just did. But, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a good rant. Well, even here at OGGN, ta- our talent is everything. Yeah. Without our people, we would be nothing. It wouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, once again, a great article in the Houston Chronicle talking about how Texas is blowing and going with a uh, hiring. Um, we'll get back to pre-pandemic levels by the end of this year. We'll be past that by next year. Um, and, and next year, we we'll should be in a really good place. Is that it for the news articles? Yeah, it is. Oh, all right. Some showstoppers. Some showstoppers. <laughs> what is not a showstopper is if you want to go work at the Canon. If you're in the Houston area, just walk into the Canon at the front desk and say, we love OGGN. And they will say, we do too. Here's a free pass. You could work here all it's day. so lame. <laughs> it's not lame. They do love us over there. I know, but. Um, IBM shirt thing. Um we mentioned, I think, on the last show that we're torn between doing a coin and an actual NFT. I should have never said the word NFT on the microphone. Why? Oh, my. Freaking 500 million zillion people have reached out going NFT. I mean, it's... it's, it's Oh. Yeah. That's so, actually pretty surprising. So, unless a 500 zillion of y'all can come back to counterbalance that and say you want the coin, I think the decision's probably made. Um, the the problem with the NFT is there's uh, there's some potential intellectual property issues with us and IBM and the NFT. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't worry. We, we have the best lawyers and the best... Um, cyber people in the world work on this we're come up with a solution but it looks like audience that we may be giving out nfts instead of the ibm t-shirt which um i never got one of those i guess none of us ever got one. no of those. we're not supposed to have those well we don't give them away anymore well <laughs> so, i know they're a collector's <laughs> item yeah uh weekly rig count where are we uh united states is at 714 we're up nine canada is at 88 down three um, internationally, we're down nine at eight oh six. Okay, still really good, strong numbers. Yeah. Um, you hear me say this all the time. Just do it. Go to LinkedIn. Type in Oil and Gas Global Network or OGGN. Now, if you type in OGGN and it says software company, that's not us. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just join our page, our group. Um, this is where you hear about all the cool stuff we're doing. Which, by the way, so not the May Industry Mixer, which you haven't signed up for that. The link will be in the show. Sign up for it. This will be a blast. We've ch- changed the format. We're no longer doing panels. We're doing live podcasts. And still everything else, all of the cool stuff, prizes, giveaways, food, drinks. Uh, we donate money to help fight human sex trafficking. But audience, be very aware of our July Industry Mixer. I can't tell you what's going to happen. We're going to do something really cool in Paige. Our sponsor is going to pick up the ticket price. For everybody. <gasps> That's cool. Yeah. Now, I can't tell you the details yet. You got to wait till we get there. I actually don't know either, guys. Yeah, but but wait till July. But in order to prepare yourself for July so that you're in good shape, what you really need to do is come to our May Mixer. Yeah. Yeah, which is the uh, last Thursday of this month, which I think is the 28th. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, and while you're out there, you know the deal. First Friday Q&A. If you want to submit a question, uh, either go to OGGN.com or to OilandGasThisWeek.com. If we use your question on the air, which we've learned, audience, that we don't use all the questions on the air, <laughs> we'll give you a big shout out. And then if you want to know about all the oil and gas events, sign up for the monthly uh, oil and gas events newsletter. It's free. The link's in the show note. And if you like myself or any of our experts to come to anything that you're doing, if you're doing a car show, if you got a sales kickoff, if you got marketing planning, if you got um, a customer event, we'll be happy to bring a live podcast, do a keynote. I even think we have some juggling bears somewhere in the closet we can bring. Oh, not really. No kidding, Mark. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, you ready to get out of here? I am. 
All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.